0: So much older I'm than that now
1: In all of human history, one of the greatest changes to the way we live is taking place right now. We're all part of it, and most of us don't even realize it. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and you're listening to Growing Bolder. And if you hang with us for the next few minutes, you are going to learn things about the age wave that's happening all around us that you might never have thought about before. Find out what we need to be watching for, preparing for, and doing differently to live our best life.
2: It really is great news for everyone of every age. Also on today's program, what's the best way to honor an African-American motorcycle pioneer, a true unsung hero from the past? And how about hopping on a Harley and riding to 48 states in her honor? Well, we'll bring you the story of Chantel Williams and her lifelong passion to break down stereotypes while building some big-time friendships
1: along the way. It's a fantastic story. But first, a thought leader, visionary, someone whose life mission has been to help advance the human potential of people all over the world as we age. You'll hear his thoughts on how life today is different than ever before and his predictions of how things will be in 10, 20, 30 years and what we need to do to be prepared. Ken Dykewald goes one-on-one with Mark. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. This is Growing Bolder. We are both
2: excited and honored that the man himself is in our office today. Ken Dykwald is and has been for more than 40 years now, the world's number one thought leader and influencer when it comes to the cultural, the social, and the business implications of global aging. Ken is a psychologist, he's a gerontologist, a sociologist, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a filmmaker, and he's the founder of Age Wave, which is a renowned think tank and consultancy uh, where he has been engaged by literally half of the Fortune 500 companies. Uh, to help them understand uh, how to speak to and how to market to uh, the most lucrative and the most underserved demographic of all time, older adults. Ken, welcome to GBHQ. It's, it's great here. to be
3: with you. Good to see you, Mark.
2: First of all, uh, let's start with, with this. Uh, your 18th book, uh, and I think it's fair to say your your most personal book of all. It's called Radical Curiosity, One Man's Search for Cosmic Magic and a Purposeful Life. and uh, I know what curiosity is, Ken. What, what is radical curiosity and how has it defined your life?
3: Well, here's what happened. I, um, a couple things occurred at the same time. One was my dad passed away about eight, nine years ago. And I don't know what it's like for everyone else when a parent dies. And I was in a pretty good place with my dad and I was with him the night he died. And we were on good terms, but I kind of felt a lot of stuff rumbling around inside of me afterward. And I thought... I want to make sure that I've gathered my lessons and my stories to pass on to my own kids because I might have 30 more years, I might have 30 more days, who knows. And our company was doing research on inheritance and legacy. And one of the things that struck me was that back in the 15th century, a number of the religious transitions believed that every person should prepare a material will. And that's I have this stuff and this is where I want it divided and given to generations to come. And then they also had what was called an ethical will, which is kind of a strange phrase, but ethical will. And the idea of the ethical will is that it's up to each of us to take the stories of our life and gather them and the lessons we've learned and try to make sense of them. And think about how you might pass them to your children and their children and maybe even generations that you never meet. And um, when I started gathering these stories over a number of years, I, uh, I met with a publisher And he said to me you know the driving force in your life is curiosity and i thought i never really thought of that but yeah i guess so and as i cover in the book i had kind of an odd storyline i started out going to school to be a physicist and then dropped out and moved to esalen institute in big sur and became a yoga teacher and an expert on the mind and body and then i started the holistic health field but then I made a right turn into the aging field and then not really knowing uh, much about business, I decided to try to be an entrepreneur and I had a lot of successes and a few failures and then some more successes. So, so I've lived a life of curiosity and a lot of what's driven it is this human potential belief that each of us has probably got talents and creativities and abilities that we don't usually tap into we only maybe use 5% of who we could be and I just kept trying to turn on more of my burners over the decades. I've always admired people who kind of found their purpose
2: uh, you know, early on in life, and I, and I know that you were 23 years old, 1973, and uh, you became the co-director of a national project that was funded by the uh, National Institutes of Health to examine how what was newly popular back then, yoga, meditation, and biofeedback might ultimately impact older adults. How does a 23-year-old Ken Dykwald get that gig?
3: It was like a sort of accident, you know, like my kids think that you're supposed to envision life and it happens, you know, uh, much in my life, Mark, has happened by accident or serendipity. I am, um, I was living in Big Sur and was teaching at Esalen and teaching in counter groups and yoga and writing Body Mind when I was 22, 23. And uh, I lived in a little cabin, it was $150 a month and it was kind of a dump but I thought I'm going to stay here forever. You know, this is my, I found my home base. And then one morning, bang, 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 bang on the door. Um, some crazy looking guy, looked like Clint East went on acid and, uh, I never met this guy and he told me he was my landlord, but he'd been living in New Zealand, but he wanted me out of the house. And I said, no, 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 I've got a lease. I could stay here for another two years. And he says, no, I want you out now. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. And then he pulls out of his vest a gun and he puts a gun to my forehead. And no one had ever done that before. And I thought, oh, I guess I'm leaving Big Sur today. And uh, a friend of mine connected me with a friend of hers who was in Berkeley, who had this idea of creating a human potential curriculum. We didn't know what to call it. Buddy of ours, Stuart Brand, had just done a thing called the Whole Earth Catalog. He had a little extra money in his foundation. Gave us 5,000 bucks. We had to make up a name. We made up the name Holistic Health. And so we were the holistic health council. And um, right at the very last minute, we had created this year long curriculum, not a weekend workshop, not an evening lecture, but a year long course, integrating meditation and Tai Chi and proper nutrition and mindfulness and journal writing and all the kinds of things that are now popular. But this was like way back in the early stages. And Gay Luce, the woman who was my partner on this project, her mother had cardiovascular issues, hypertension. And Gay said, all right, she's an old woman. Well, let's say, what if we tried out some biofeedback and meditation and deep breathing with her? And she got better. And so Gay said, hey, let's do this whole project with old people. And I thought, old people? I (laughs) I was like, just turning 24, I was kind of a hippie guy. I was like, do I want to spend my career? with old people. And then to, to jump through a lot of hoops and get to the punchline, they were fabulous. They gobbled the stuff up and they were coming in on canes and walkers and dancing out and writing books and falling in love. And we found that, wow, the human body has enormous capacity to fix itself. And it's very protein, meaning, you know, elastic. It could be made better. And, you know, we are more inclined in modern medicine to try to use drugs or surgery or chemotherapies. And these more natural techniques were really kind of working. But I will tell you the punchline for me came in about the third month. And I was with the project for five years and then we set up similar programs all over the world. This was before Andy Weil and Dean Ornish and some of the programs that are more famous now. We are sort of the, the first one in. I said to the people in our group, we'd meet for three hours a week and they'd be 70, 80, 90 years old. And then they'd have homework assignments. Every one of them had to do breathing exercises or meditations or practice Tai Chi. But I said this week, I said, hey, next week I want you all to bring pictures of when you were my age. And this is going to sound really dopey, but I think I thought that old people were always old people. <laughs> I think it's probably a lot of 30-year-olds, maybe some of the people watching have kids who think, oh, mom was always old. Um, and they brought in pictures of themselves and they were young and they were beautiful and they were strapping men and sexy women and military and they weren't old people at all they were just like me you know my friends they were like us the other thing was i asked people to graph their life and they said what do you can graph your life i said i don't know i just made that up but here's a piece of graph paper next <laughs> week i want to see what was the highs what was the lows wow and they came back by the way, I'd recommend that everybody try that. They came back and here was the big surprise for me. Mostly they felt their lives were lows. There were high points and high moments, but I was in a marriage for 20 years that never made me happy. Or I had a job that my parents wanted me to do, but I really wanted to be a musician. Instead, I was a dentist. And what I realized was is that looking back at life from 90 years old, you can see the moves you made and the choices you made. And the lesson they taught me that day was you don't want to have that many regrets. You want to get on with the things you want to do. You want to try to drop the people and the activities that are not worth your time. And you want to try to make something of yourself. And so I've lived my life with a kind of an intensity. And it was because I had the benefit of learning from elders when I was still a kid. I think every high school kid should teach, should get a course from a group of elders about life because we stumble along for decades before we get old enough and wise enough to kind of know how it all works. Why not get some lessons, not from some pop psychologist or some television preacher, why not get some lessons from elders who can really teach you what matters in life?
2: I want to ask you about that because I know you're a big believer in mentors and you've had some great ones, but in 1972, and you cover this in your book, you wrote a letter of independence to your parents (laughs) and in it you said, there are several things about me that I'm coming to understand. First, I am an explorer. I am really curious about nearly everything, and I will not rest until I have found the answers to these questions. Underneath it all, I believe I am a seeker of knowledge. I am a searcher for excitement. I am an explorer of the unexplored. So, so now, 50 years later, uh, what has the
3: explorer discovered? Uh, has the journey given you the First, answers? First, it's pretty, two things. It's pretty crazy that I, I wrote that letter, And I got a copy of it for my mom and dad later in life. And I thought, wow. I was really, I was kind of pushing their buttons because I was also saying, leave me alone, let me do what I want uh, and trust me. Um, The other thing is that in the book, there's a letter from my son when he was in his 20s to my wife and I, and it's like identical, (laughs) it's really eerie. Uh, The other thing is I've learned a number of things. Um, First I think a life of curiosity and discovery has been a blast. Second, I've learned that there's a lot of people who are willing to mentor you. You know, I had Jimmy Carter as a mentor. I had Ronald Reagan as a mentor. It wasn't their political party I was looking for. I had the good fortune of encountering Nelson Mandela. I, I, uh, Bucky Fuller helped me figure out what I was trying to do with my life. And uh, Maggie Kuhn, the head of the Grey Panthers, and I were very close. And Robert Butler, the founder of the National Institutes on Aging, And what I found was that if I sought out people of power and people of experience, they didn't turn me away. They kind of saw in me somebody who really wanted to make a difference in the world. And I think mentors like to have mentees to work with. So that's the thing I learned. I also learned it's really important to take care of your body. Um, People are really cavalier about their bodies and you can get away with that when you're 20 or 30. But man, all that stuff you didn't do right if you were smoking cigarettes, you're carrying extra body weight, or you didn't work your your limbs, you know, you didn't do your stretches, you hit 60 or 70, and it starts to show up as some really unpleasant stuff. So taking really good care of your body. And two more things. I did a study a few years ago in 20 countries, uh, representing two-thirds of the world's population, and we asked elders, what was the principal ingredient in a healthy longevity. And I'm telling you, it wasn't matter. It didn't matter if we were in Brazil or Germany or Indonesia. The same answers came back. And what people said was, it's the people you love and the people who love you, your relationships. And if your relationships are struggling, make them better. And if you need new friends, go out and make new friends. But it's not about how big your house is or how much money you have in the bank. Those are all kind of nice. But relationships and the last thing I want to say that I learned in this life I was kind of a solo guy in my 20s and early 30s I was kind of a make love not war hippie yoga guy and uh, I got really lucky I I fell in love and um, I've remarried my wife 39 times we get remarried every year different location different religion and people say to me why do you do that and I always say well how come you don't You know, Uh, you know, uh, marriages require continued commitment, you know, and we've got two fabulous kids. So I've come to see that separate from all of some of the money I've made or powerful people I've met, I kind of find myself to be a family man. I really love my wife and kids and I get my biggest kick out of that relationship. Yeah, I love that about your book, uh, where
2: you talk about uh, Maddie, your wife, and Zach, your son, and, and Casey. Casey, your daughter. I mean, it really is just an amazing family, and, and really, really, uh, you know, admirable.
3: There's By the way, a- I want to say, see this gray hair? Yeah, my kids have given me this gray hair. Man. <laughs> well, you they know, don't always, they don't always behave. Yeah, you know, being a parent is a lot crazier than I think it might have been for our own parents. Well, you know, they, they, they did and behaved a lot like you did when you were young, so you kind of had it coming to you.
1: Up next, we continue the conversation. More from Mark Middleton and Ken Dykewald on the aging of America. This is Growing Bolder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Florida Blue Medicare, offering health care without compromise through the plans and benefits now being offered for 2022. The annual enrollment period is October 15th through December 7th. Information at growingbolder.com/slash Medicare. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com/slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder, and we are right in the middle of a fascinating conversation between Growing Boulder founder Mark Middleton and Ken Dykewald, the founder of AgeWave. Now, Ken has just written his memoir, "Radical Curiosity: One Man's Search for Cosmic Magic and a Purposeful Life," which gives you an idea where the conversation is headed. So, let's rejoin Ken and Mark.
2: There's a lot of talk now, uh, Ken, about a longevity revolution, and. Um, You know, science and medicine and technology are conspiring to keep people alive longer. Um, Can that be a good thing? Is it necessarily a good thing? Because I have this, you know, I can go to the dark side pretty quickly, and and, and I, I can foresee a day when... You know, we're kept alive longer than we really should be with a quality of life. And, and, and because there's a business motive behind it, if you can keep someone in a bed, breathing oxygen, hook, hooked up to expensive machines, you can make a lot of money. Is that something that concerns you or am I silly? Yeah,
3: I, uh, you're, we're, we're now diving into the deep waters here. So let me tell you what some of my top line thoughts are. First of all, where are we? through humans been around, let's say, 100,000 years. About 99% of that time, the average life expectancy has been under 18. Now, some of your viewers are gonna say, that can't be true. There have been 50-year-olds and 70-year-olds. Yeah, but not many at all. Lots of people died in the first months of life. Life expectancy was very low because of medical breakthroughs in the 20th century, antibiotics, polio vaccine, public health, pharmacopoeia self-care, living to 80 or 90 today is kind of normal. And, whoa, nobody would have imagined that a century ago. And I'm, uh, I work in the field of geroscience, and I'm hearing some way-out futurists who say that for kids born today, half of them are going to live to see their 120th birthday. There are some breakthroughs maybe 10, 20 years out that could radically change the number of years we live. Here's the two problems, all right? One of the problems is we've got to match health span to lifespan. I mean, if you're going to live 100 years, but you're going to have Alzheimer's for 33 of them. Yeah. Not for me. Not for me. Or if you're going to live 90 years, but it'd be in terrible pain for 22 years. Now, we got to we got to live a long, healthy life. And frankly, I think the abundance of health is more important than having extra years. The second thing is What the heck are we gonna do with ourselves? Uh, This might sound a little bit peculiar to you, but I've been studying this now for 47 years, that last 10 years, the average retiree in America watched 47 hours of television a week, and only 24% of the retired population did any volunteering at all. So what we've got is we got a whole lot of people living not just a couple, three, four years in retirement, but 20, 30 years, not really making much of themselves. And so I'm an old human potential guy. Uh, My feeling is man, when you think of all the potential creativity, contribution, emotional intelligence, volunteerism, mentoring that our older adults could be doing and still have plenty of time to goof off and take wonderful trips and play golf. I'd like to see a better version of maturity and aging in which older people weren't, you know, okay, boomers, weren't just kind of grooving on their benefits and pensions and living the life but we're playing a more active part in their communities. Amen. I was surprised in your book how
2: amazingly candid and vulnerable uh, Ken Dykwald is when it comes to your fears about growing older yourself, uh, your fears about suffering, your fears about losing those you love, your fears about Dying has, as working in the field, studying older people, seeing the trajectory of life, made it easier for you to to think about those kinds of things, or more difficult.
3: Well, f- first, let me say I've lived my life, you know, as a public speaker and as a so-called expert. So I've gotten to meet all the retired presidents and all the retired generals and all the pop psychologists and all the best-selling authors and. And most people are con artists. I mean, they may be good people, but they're not telling you their truth. You know, they're putting something out that's supposed to look good. Uh, I decided in this book that after 17 other books, I needed to come from my heart. And um, I was always the youngest kid in the room. And now I'm 71. So I'm an elder. And uh, I'm kind of liking it kind of feel like oh this white hair circling the sun 71 times i got some perspective that i never had before and i don't want to have society make me irrelevant so i got a battle to stay current also i've seen a lot of older people make themselves irrelevant they don't learn TikTok. they don't know who charlie d'amelio is they don't understand why why uh Childish Gambino is so important. They don't, they're, they're out of touch. They're still living in Woodstock, you know? And I think that if you're gonna be a modern person, even though you might be 60 or 90, you gotta spend a couple, three hours a day learning the modern times. If you don't know how to work tech or you don't know who the young people are and they're a different racial, ethnic, sexual identity cohort, you're gonna be out of touch. The other thing is, is that I've seen a lot of people struggle and suffer. My dad went blind. Um, Never would have imagined that. He had diabetes. He was a junk food eater. And before you knew it, he had macular degeneration. Then he lost all his vision. He was furious. Last 10 years of my life, every night my father would call me and tell me he was going to kill himself. He didn't want to be alive. He didn't. Then he started saying, and our mom had Alzheimer's. Who would have imagined that this beautiful, wonderful, loving human being would have to wear a diaper and would be walking into the wall and didn't know who we were. And so the two of them were talking about, my father's talking about maybe we should just take ourselves out. And I thought to myself, I thought of an example, and I won't go too crazy on you, but So in my hippie years, I went and visited my parents one time. I was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania for a few months, and I had a motorcycle. My folks were in New Jersey, and I drove to see them. And my father and I had a really bad fight. And um, we were out face-to-face, and I was really ready to just whack them. And uh, you don't understand me, and I'm living a new life. I'm in the new age. You're... And so as not to have a fist fight, I decided I was going to go to the bedroom and jump out the window and get on the motorcycle and drive the two hours. It was pouring rain and all I had was a T-shirt and a trench coat and there were no helmets needed then. And I'm driving, screaming and crying and angry at my dad all the way back to Pennsylvania. And then it's like two in the morning. I'm pulling into my apartment and I look up the street and there's a car turning around. And I looked at the car, it was my dad. He had the lights off. My father had followed me all the way to Pennsylvania to make sure I was okay. So I felt in his later years, I had to follow him to where he was going and make sure he was okay. And so I was with him when he passed and I helped him calm down. He was angry and scared. And uh, so there are parts of aging, loss, pain, suffering, I'm not keen on. Uh, I don't want to be kept alive, as you mentioned, uh, jacked up to equipment and technology for weeks or years. It's not a version of aging I want. And I don't want to be a used to be guy. I meet a lot of people who, oh, this is what I used to be. And now I'm a nothing. And I think it's okay if you want to just live a relaxed life. But I like the idea of being fully engaged in the dance of life. And I'd like to keep that going throughout all my years. You write about legacy
2: um, and are you getting a little more revolutionary as as you get older? I mean, you've built a business being the guy in terms of consumerism, in terms of, you know, B2B kind of stuff. It, it seems to me like you're, with this book and with the conversations we've had, you're, you're, you're starting to focus more on changing the culture of aging for individuals and, uh, uh, yeah. Great for the business opportunity, but let's talk about the personal opportunity. You're asking
3: good questions. I'm going to give you an honest answer. Give it to me. me. So one of my mentors was a guy named Robert Butler. He was an elegant human being. He was a physician. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. He was the director of the National Institutes on Aging. And he was the guy that started geriatric medicine in the United States. And his plan was to have geriatrics being a competency that was everywhere. And he died a few years ago, and a few of us got together and we said, boy, what a great guy, how lucky we were to have him as a mentor. But you know what? He didn't get the job done. And I was friends with Maggie Kuhn in the 1970s. Maggie started the Great Panthers to eliminate ageism. And recently people have asked me, you knew Maggie, you guys were talking about ageism in the 1970s. Hey, guess what? You didn't get the job done. What's what's wrong with you guys? Were you too busy trying to make money and you know, get on TV to get the job done. I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. I feel like uh, I'm at an age now where it's kind of gloves off. You know, I'm really tired of the TV commercials that are really nasty and make older people out to be buffoons. And guess what, I'm an older person now, you gotta deal with me. And I'm really tired of the fact that You know, people, you know, don't want to be older. Oh, we got to be anti-aging. We want to be young forever. It's no, man, you don't want to be young forever. It's like if my 31-year-old son said to me, Daddy, I'd still like to be four, I'd take him to a psychiatrist. You know, life is a cycle. Like life is an arc, you know, we become more of who we are. And so I feel like I'm fighting harder now than ever before. I feel like I can sort of see the clock watch on the wall. You know, the clock's ticking. And I don't know how much more time I've got. But there's some things I'm trying to get done, I'm trying to get a more positive image of aging out there, accepted, gotta, gotta wipe out this ageism stuff. Now, is it as bad as sexism or racism? Probably not, but it's still nasty That you know, that just because you're 60 or 70, you don't see yourself represented in TV. If you're in a movie, you're some kind of goofball old uncle, you know? We got this thing wrong. And the other thing is that I think that we need better relationships between the generations. I think those of us who are older need to be more connected to the young, both because we can teach them a little bit of what we've learned, and also I think there's so much to be extracting from young people, their music, their beats, their sounds, their passions, their fears, their hopes. That's the way it ought to be. And so, yeah, I'm going to bat against the medical system. I'm going to bat against the advertising community. I'm going to bat against the financial industry. I'm going to bat against a lot of these people who used to be the folks. They're still hiring me. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, kind of gloves off, you know, bare knuckle brawl. And I uh, feel like it's, uh, I've earned it. Love to hear that. Uh- Let's wrap
2: it up there. You know, Ken, thank you so much for your time. His book is Radical Curiosity. In fact, uh, Michael Murphy, who is the the founder of Esalon, says it's... uh uh, Esalon, in fact, was, was the Mecca. Of well, the, sort of
3: the mothership of the human potential the, movement. The
2: mothership of it all. And he said, quote, uh, it is a modern-day Siddhartha story, which, of course, is is a story about a man's journey to self-discovery. And uh, But, folks, this is not just any man. Uh, and when you read the book, you will totally understand that.
3: And I want to say that All of the earnings from this book, all of my earnings are being donated to Esalen Institute. So buy a lot of copies. It's not going to make me rich. I already am doing fine financially. It's all going to support this not-for-profit. It really is a fabulous book. Ken Dykewell, thank you for your time. Good to be with you, Mark.
1: Up next, all she wanted to do was learn to ride a Harley, but what she ended up doing was setting a world record and smashing stereotypes with every mile she traveled. This is Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: The Alliance for Lifetime Income. Protected income from an annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at protectedincome.org. And by the Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. It isn't very often that someone tells you how lucky you are to be an older person, but it's true there's never been a better time than right now. Aging expert Annette Kelly believes it's something we all need to think about taking advantage of.
5: That's a huge difference in how healthy we are, how much longer we're going to live as a group, how capable and experienced and educated we are. We could change the world, and, and many of us have been working on that. You know, I feel like um, this is the golden age of aging sort of. So that answer your question? <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> and we, all,
1: we all have that obligation yeah. to contribute to that. Of course. We can all do our part. It's not a disease. No. It's an opportunity.
5: No. And I think we can, uh, when we volunteer, I volunteer a lot, and when we volunteer, we need to volunteer with an open heart, with what is? what do you need from me? Not appearing at the door saying, well, I have this, 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 and this, um, pick one. No. What, what does your organization need? What's the struggle here? And what I see lots of times in community organizations is that the experience of the older person can actually be uniting of the mission and vision and all of that. We may not have the technology, you know, up so so high, but we certainly have the interpersonal experience and the ability to take the long view, and I think we can, we can provide that and, and offer that in, in our communities. We all should be volunteers.
1: At the very least, we should all do what we can to make a difference, to help a neighbor, to treat others the way we want to be treated. That's living life to the fullest. More insight and information at growingbolder.com medicare.
2: And now an interesting story uh, that really shows that no matter who you are or where your interests might lie, it is always possible to find a way to make a difference. This one's about a woman named Chantelle Williams who always wanted to ride
1: a Harley and like a lot of us it was something she put on the back burner. And you know Mark she finally had her chance when she was in her 40s And she loved it. And it was just as much fun as she thought it would be. But what she did not expect was that by doing what she loved, this African-American woman would end up honoring a social justice pioneer and even becoming a role model herself. Here's Growing Boulders' Amy Sweezy.
6: It's a good place to be, right?
4: (laughs) (laughs) When Chantel Williams was young, she didn't know a lot of heroes who looked like her. But in her early 40s, she discovered a woman named Bessie Stringfield, the first African-American woman to ride a motorcycle across America in the 1930s. Bessie looked like Chantel. She rode like Chantel. And suddenly, Chantel had the urge to tell everyone her story.
6: And I'm going to cry, and I didn't think I was. What can I do that can draw attention to her? So if another little girl wants somebody that looks like them to be a hero, they'll know about her. And um, I think my heart just, you know, I went there. And it was forever the moment. Like, man, I can't wait to share. I can't wait to share.
4: In 2016, Chantel brought attention to Bessie's story by riding her Harley across 48 states in 27 days. Even more amazing than the record-setting ride, the fact that Chantel had only been riding motorcycles for eight months. She bought her first one without even knowing how to ride.
6: It sat in the restaurant two days, and then the restaurant started smelling like gas. So I go, okay, I don't know anybody who knows how to ride. I looked, I got on the bike. I remember riding a three-wheeler when I was like 12, you know, so I got on it, and my kids followed behind me in the minivan. <laughs> I remember in second gear the entire four-minute ride. Two days later, I took lessons, and on that Saturday, was it March 14th? I was at the last day of Bike Week. Knee pads, shoulder pads, <laughs> elbow pads. I was like, I will never ride with people. I can't believe I'm doing it. And but I remember feeling really happy I don't, I don't know like my kids said I couldn't fit through the door I was smiling so hard
4: once the ride around the US began reality set in
6: day seven I was not the same person I was on day one I was I was totally uh, reborn <laughs> literally um, the it felt like parts of me that lived that parts of that fear to fight through, it was like a going through a birth, you know? So it was, I remember crying on day seven. So I think some of my 20, the other 20 days was just trying to find a reason to quit. And, but in between, if I keep riding, you know, I'll, I'll make some miles up as I'm riding. So it was, it was stunning. And I'm, it's probably nobody more shocked than me that um, it actually happened.
4: Chantel's 2016 ride set a Guinness World Record. Later that year, Harley Davidson inducted Bessie Stringfield into their Hall of Fame and created the Chantel Williams Mileage Award given annually.
6: I just felt really great just to be a part of the big picture, something bigger than me. That way my daughters um, would never be able to tell me um, they can't do something. I felt like um, my, my superwoman to me you know, at this trip, in these 27 days, I had been my worst, my worst uh, person, and now I'm my biggest cheerleader.
4: Four years later, in the middle of a global pandemic, polarizing political views and racial injustice, Chantel set out again, this time documenting her trip for an upcoming docu-series called Shut Up and Ride. Chantel says she had more conversations on 2020's road trip that encouraged her about the direction we're headed as a country.
6: What the world was going through um, was very humbling to a lot of people that perhaps had never went through many challenges, certainly not you know the pandemic. So it changed the, how you say, the direction. And so um, people took a little more time out to talk what, what are you doing? Um, why are you doing it? Um, how do you feel about it? And what are your feelings now about what's going on?
4: She recalls meeting Frank in Nevada, a 65-year-old white man who drove a pickup truck.
6: He goes, have you ever been stopped by the police for being black? And I thought about it for a second. I said, yeah, but I also been stopped because I've been speeding. And we laugh again. And he goes, but what, how did that make you feel? And I go, well, what makes me feel right this moment is that that's changing from this moment forth because the fact that we can have this conversation. And I told Frank, I said, I'll probably never forget you and I'll share the story because it's a moment for me.
4: When Chantel isn't on her Harley, she is serving up delicious Southern food for the soul in her restaurant in Sanford, Florida. Her husband and several of her 10 children can usually be found helping.
6: It's, it's a dream. It's a dream to, that's way bigger than me and the people that have come along the way um, to do it. I think Sanford was missing that.
4: Many small businesses struggled to stay afloat in 2020, including Chantelle's. but she says the pandemic actually helped her see the good in people. It forced her community to come together. Chantel kept her staff of 17 on board. They cooked, but had few customers. Instead of throwing the food out, they delivered it to hospitals and first responders.
6: Yeah, we were definitely um, so blessed to have, um, I call it, my PPP was people protecting people. I'd go to the mailbox and I'd get a check for $100, check for $50, check for $500, complete strangers here's uh, $200 toward um, feeding somebody else. And they don't know, they, it was truly feeding somebody else. I really, COVID has made us better. You know, I, I, it's always a silver lining and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger.
2: Man, Bill, Chantel is an incredible person in in so many ways. And and Amy told me that, uh, you know, she never really set out to do anything other than just follow her passion, which, you know, we all should be doing. But when she saw an opportunity to make a statement, she didn't hesitate to
1: throttle it up. It's amazing because her motorcycle journey didn't just set a record. That wasn't her goal. It let Chantel show that she could smash stereotypes and make friends of all ethnicities all along the way by being out there and being open with people and doing what she loves. And, Mark, the secret is she didn't separate out ethnicities, interests, and races. She brought everyone together.
2: And that's the beauty of shared passions. When we see people who like the same stuff we do, even if they don't look like us, we end up giving them a chance and we learn to like them. It is really
1: the beauty of coming together around a shared passion. When we see someone having fun, it's infectious. And we all want to do it, and it's so much better when we do it together. When we come back, saving for retirement and what's on Mark's mind. This is Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. For many, retirement is an adventure that holds endless possibilities. It's a time to do the things you've always dreamed about. Hopefully, you've saved and grown your money for retirement, but trying to determine exactly how much you'll need... Well, that could be a daunting challenge. And while uncertainty is a part of life, there are some steps you can take to begin to figure it out, like start with your anticipated monthly expenses. Now, those are mortgage or rent, utilities, groceries, and the things you have to pay for. The Nonprofit Alliance for Lifetime Income has a simple guide for checking off the basics available on their website. Next, figure out what sources of protected income you have to cover them. Protected income is a source of money that you'll receive throughout retirement. There are only three potential sources of protected income. A company pension, which only a lucky few have anymore. Social Security, which covers only 40% of your pre-retirement income. And annuities. There's a pretty good chance that once you calculate your protected income, there will be a gap. One that an annuity can help fill. And once you've covered your monthly expenses with protected income you can count on, well, you'll have the freedom to use the rest of your savings and investments to do the things you've always wanted to. The Alliance for Lifetime Income is a nonprofit educational organization that believes no one should have to face the prospect of running out of money in retirement. This organization has a library of easy-to-understand information, tools, guides, and stories of real-life Americans who have found ways to protect their retirement and have the freedom to live a bold life. More information at protectedincome.org, including recommendations on where and how best to find the right financial professional.
0: My guard stood hard when abstract thrits, too noble to neglect.
2: Quick question Are you being the true you? Does it actually get easier to be yourself as we age? Well, we reached out to physician, professor, entrepreneur, and aging expert Dr. Bill Thomas to ask that very question. And as usual, he had quite the thought provoking answer.
7: I think the, the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing to remember is you be you that how you live and how you think and how you feel and how you treat other people matters so much more than the year you were born in, that if you compare those two things, then it's not even close. So people of all ages can be jerks. People of all ages can be angels. People of all ages can be successful or failures. It doesn't matter, what matters is you. What's inside of you? And I think, I, when I think of aging, I think it almost like a sculptor who's got a big block of stone, and he, he kind of knows or she knows that in there there's this great thing, and you just chip away. And that's what aging does for us. It chips away all the stuff that's not us, all the stuff that, all the illusions, all the wrong-headed ideas. If you pay attention and you live a long time, you get rid of that stuff, and you become, you become more like your true self.
1: Dr. Bill Thomas on how aging allows us to shed some of that ego, some of that stuff, as he calls it, that gets in the way of us being who we really are. It's great perspective, a great way to look at it. And now, Mark, it's time to turn the program over to you for a topic of interest to find out what is on your mind this time. Well, you know, it's really the same thing I mentioned in our staff meeting this
2: week, Bill. I went for a run last weekend, and as I often do, I like to listen to hip hop. I was listening to little Nasdaq's and and drake and eminem and and when i run and listen to that kind of music for some reason i get jacked up you know i'm i'm ready i'm ready to fight for something and and it took me back i started reconnecting with feelings when i was in college uh back in the late 60s and early 70s and i i remembered the anti-war movement and some of my favorite songs back then were buffalo springfield uh for what it's worth mm-hmm. i think my favorite was thunderclap newman there's something in the air and while i'm running i get on my itunes and i as i run it took me 30 seconds to find the song and listen to it and and, and i remember the the lyric says we all do instantly even though i haven't heard it in years call out the instigators because there's something in the air call out the instigators uh, it, the because, revolutions yeah here. the revolutions here and you know that it's right and you know that it's right And as I ran and I'm thinking about hip-hop and I'm thinking about the themes of hip-hop, I just got so fascinated with it. When I got home, I started Googling hip-hop, and was surprised to find out that there's such a thing as hip-hop therapy that is endorsed by the likes of Mayo Clinic and others because the message of hip-hop, unlike a lot of rap, which can be very confrontational and misogynistic, it's violent, but hip-hop is more about inclusion. It's about finding your voice. It's about uh, you know reaching out and helping others. So th- it's turned into a really cool therapy tool. And, and as I thought about that, I thought about how I'm still connected to the anti-war movement. I'm still connected to the, uh, to, to, to the civil rights movement. I'm still connected to the women's rights movement. All of these things were happening back in the 60s and 70s, and I can instantly, through a song, reconnect with the feelings, and it made me want to take on another fight. And it goes back to what we just heard from Ken Dykwald. You know, he said, let's take the gloves off. It's time for a bare-knuckle brawl, and the fight that I want to engage in is ageism.
1: That's what's on my mind. Ageism. Now, so let's take that 60s music, bring it into hip-hop. So these are two incongruous things, right, that that you've seen this common thread. How does that tie into ageism? How can we use that to push it forward? I have to admit, I don't think I've listened to any hip-hop.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's just the feeling. I think people my age, I'm a little older than you, but not much. I think people my age automatically can reconnect with wanting to make a difference, you know, wanting to be part of positive social change. Uh, and, and for some reason, we've just lost the the organization. We've lost the leadership. We've lost the instigators. And that's what we need. And I'm thinking that maybe Growing Bolder can fill that role.
1: Wow. Wouldn't that be interesting because ageism only falls if people of all ages have respect for each other. So wouldn't it be cool to take the lead create some of this powerful, poetic kind of cadence and pull in younger people as well and fight this battle together. Well, you know, it's a a battle we should fight together because by definition, ageism
2: is just discrimination based upon age, and it works both ways. There are young people that are discriminated against just as there are older people. There's no reason to devalue anybody's life because of their age. Uh, It's the one-ism that affects us all. If we're lucky enough to live to old age, it's the one thing that will impact us all. In a negative way, uh, regardless of our gender, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our religion, it's the one thing that we all have a fight in.
1: I love that, Mark. What you're essentially saying, it's time for a new tune, and folks, it's up to you to write it because that's Growing Boulder.
4: The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One itunes spotify stitcher and tune in it is written and produced by jill middleton mark middleton and bill Schaefer. technical director is jason morrow production manager is michael Nannis. chief audio engineer is mac doula and our most important team member you follow us on facebook and instagram to keep growing bolder every day
0: crimson flames t- Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my maps We'll meet on edges soon Said I me did it proud I was, I was so much old